Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. you we praise you that you're just an awesome god that you work in our lives and i pray that our hearts would be open father and exposed to you that you would look deep into our heart into our soul into our very being that you would love us father for who we are not who we pretend ourselves to be not some fantasy father but the reality that we are sinners and the beautiful words in the bible that says nevertheless even in our sin father you love us And Father, I thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your great love. Father, we just pray that tonight your spirit would be here to guide us and direct us and that uh, you would just move in us, Father, as only you can. We give you this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, We have watched, uh, as we're going through really some of the history of the Bible, We've seen this is now 1000 B.C. and we've watched the life of David. David was a great and mighty man of God. Then David, who was a big warrior, acquired a huge war chest and then gave everything to his son Solomon. And Solomon was the one that built the temple. And then Solomon did all this construction work. He was just over everything and he was the wisest man that ever lived. And then lo and behold, after Solomon, Solomon now passes and we've gone to his son now. Rehoboam and basically the people are going to revolt and they're going to take Jeroboam so it's Jerry versus Ray if you would and all the people 10 tribes go up to the north and say we don't want anything to do with Rehoboam Solomon's son because he worked us so hard everything was a construction project we're sick and tired of it and so basically the civil war breaks out but they don't really fight uh, a real war there's just going to be a division a ripping apart of the nation so it's going to be the north and the south the north is uh, referred to from here on out as israel and the south from here on out is referred to as judea or judah and uh, both of those now nations are going to have two separate kings that are going to be operating and we're watching now the the nations are going to go forward and unfortunately they're really going backward into sin we're watching a terrible time where, where Jeroboam is bringing the people, and we talked about it last Wednesday night, where he started to make idols, these golden calves. And what he said is, I don't want everyone to go down south where the temple is, where God is. So he wanted to create, if you would, a spiritual environment so people wouldn't have to go down to the south, and hence the people would all flock to Rehoboam down to the south. So Jerry constructs two of these calves he constructs this 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 idol uh, that everyone starts to have a priesthood that's set up and it just angers god to no end god says there's no other gods before me that's the number one commandment the second commandment is there shall have no idols before me and god hates idolatry as far as god's concerned there are no other gods he knows that he's the only one in the book and when he sees that there's uh, other gods, it really just tweaks him off. There's just nothing that gets underneath God's skin more than to see people start to worship a false god. And uh, we're going to get into a little bit of that later on. But you're seeing now that uh, there's a, uh, this process with Jeroboam. 
Uh, we're going to, sometimes we switch scenes, but we're in chapter 14. And it says, now at this time, and it puts us back in there where God's upset. This time, what time? Back up to verse 33 of chapter 13. And it's telling you the mindset. After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way. Old mean old Jerry. But again, he made priests of the high places from among all the people, anyone who would be ordained to put priests on the high places. And this event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. So it says now, 14 verse 1 at this time. So we're looking at Jeroboam in his sin, God angry, and God saying, I'd just like to blot this whole Jeroboam out. We know that God put Jeroboam in place. But God is also saying, I didn't put you in place to start to create idols. And so it says at that time, 14 verse 1, we're going to see a character we're introduced to. It's a guy named Abijah the son of Jeroboam became sick. So we don't know anything up to this point that Jeroboam was married. We don't know anything about his kids. All of a sudden, we're putting into the scene that he has a son, Abijah. And Abijah is going to become sick and it's going to upset Jeroboam. It's going to rock his world a little bit. And sometimes when you see your kids affected by your sin, it starts to ring a few bells in your own heart and in your own mind. And so... And Jeroboam said to his wife, he says, arise now. He says, and disguise yourself. Put on a cloak and a wig so that they may not know that you are the wife of Jeroboam. So he's up north and he says, go to Shiloh, which is down south. And behold, Ahijah. Now, Ahijah was the prophet. It says, the prophet is there who spoke concerning me that I would be king over this people. And take ten loaves with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, a little present, and go to him and he will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam is saying, look, I've been up north. I created some idols. God's getting mad at me. My boy is sick. And so what does he do? He starts to backtrack a little bit and says, I need God all of a sudden. I could play with the false gods, but when it comes down to my boy being sick, I need to find out some answers. And he's going to go back to the south and he's going to find this true prophet, this prophet Ahijah. And Ahijah was the guy who went up to him when Solomon was still king and he had the coat and he ripped it into ten pieces and the prophet says, Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces of the coat. Two pieces are going to go to the south. You're going to take ten parts. And what was he saying? God was telling you, Jeroboam, to rip the nation apart because of the sin of Solomon. So Jeroboam's now saying, look, I've played in sin. But now I need to go find out. I need to get real here. I need to go get the real guy who told me to be king. Somewhere, shape, and form, i got to find God in my life. Because it's interesting, a child, a child has got to represent to us the fruit of the womb, the fruit that we bear. And I think a, a, a Jeroboam is saying, the fruit, the fruit that I bear is sick. It's a strong message. I think uh, 
You know, we have a kid that didn't come out quote unquote right. He's got Down syndrome and you can sit down and say, is this my sin? Is this something that I did wrong? Why is this kid not right? And we can say, something's not right with the fruit that I bore. And you wrestle with these ideas like maybe this was, you know, some, I smoked pot when I was 18 and now look, poor kid's got to suffer for my sins. I did this, I did that. You know, what happened? What Was it anger? God, we don't, but I suppose if you look at our kid, it, Nathan's the biggest blessing that I've ever had and he's the happiest kid in the world and uh, and that's a whole story in itself. But, Nonetheless, when you read the Bible, it does portray this idea. He's Jeroboam. He's looking at the fruit of his womb. He's looking at the fruit that he bears, and his fruit's not well. And that's the problem with sin. When you fall into sin, the things that you bear, the fruit that you bear becomes sick. It becomes weak. It becomes inept. Jesus said to us, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You have to bear fruit. You must bear good fruit. And he tells us, it's interesting enough, that uh, uh, if, uh, if you believe in me, he says in, in chapter 15, verse 16, you'll have fruit and your fruit will remain. And I find that interesting. There's a calling, a mandate for you and I to bear fruit. Not to have children, but to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. To be able to turn around and to say, Lord, I want to produce fruit. I, and, and not necessarily convert some people read that and say you have to go make disciples but there has to be in your life a a process of looking at fruit god's going to come into your life work through you and you're going to produce something something for the kingdom of god whether it be love joy peace patience kindness goodness meekness you're going to go disciple you're going to go evangelize you're going to go you know, crochet little potholders for people and give them out to other people. I, there's got to be something in your life that you're going to be able to share and it's going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes, watch what happens here, when our fruit is sick. Can't hide that from anybody, can you? You and I both know sometimes that we have fruit that's sick. And it, it, and it, and it, causes us to to reevaluate our lives and we start to say what am i really doing and maybe there's something wrong with me and sometimes that's good you should put those question marks in your life and you should turn around and says lord what am i doing what am i accomplishing with my life at the end of it when i'm said and done and dead that what did i really do did i make the world a better place or is the world going to be saying saying goodbye and good riddance and glad to see you gone And so his son here uh, is sick. And notice he has a level of shame to himself where he's going to say, woman, go down there and I want you to put on a disguise. And I I like the word cloak, right? She's cloaking herself. She's she's putting on a cloak, a disguise, and she wants to be covered up to, to fool the prophet, right? And I always think of, I don't know why I always think of uh, Star Trek and the the Klingons, right? They were they were always crafty little enemies of the Star Trek Enterprise because they always possessed the cloaking device, right? The cloaking device, the cloak them, turn their ship invisible, so you know the Star Trek Jim couldn't see them and all this type of stuff, right? But the cloak, and people want to be cloaked all the time. They want to run around, right, and say I'm like a Klingon and I'm zapping in and out, and you can't see me. 
And here's this lady. She's almost got the cloak on. She's got this disguise on, the little wig on. And she's going, I'm going to go up there and I want a piece of information, but I want, I don't want anyone to see me. Why? Because there's a level of embarrassment. There's a level of, of, of knowing that she's in sin. And there's a level in her life that says, I don't want to be too honest, but I want some results in my life. So she puts on her little wig and she goes up to the prophet. And, and, and it's interesting because Jeremiah is saying, what's going to happen with the boy? And it's a funny little scene, verse 4. And Jeroboam's wife, we don't know her name, she's just Jeroboam's wife, did so and arose and went to Shiloh, where the prophet was, and came to the house of Ahijah, the man of God. And it says now, now Ahijah could not see. For his eyes were dim because of age. So at this point, he's an old blind man sitting in his house there on a rocking chair, just sitting there minding his own business. It says, now the Lord said to Ahijah, so here he is in his little rocking chair, and God comes up to him before the woman comes. He says, behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son. So here's the heads up on what's supposed to happen. For he is sick. And you shall say thus and thus to her, for it will be when she arrives that she will pretend to be another woman. And it came about when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet coming in the doorway. So she's just walking up to the door. That she's just walking up. She's got a knock on the door. And all of a sudden, right, that he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. <laughs> Why do you pretend to be another woman? So you can see the lady. She's all dressed up. She goes, I hope he doesn't see me. She's like... Oh, <laughs> pretty, pretty sad when you can't even fool a blind man, right? <laughs> I haven't said anything. I haven't done anything. How does he know? You could just see her going, this is trippy. He's figured me out. And obviously for us, it is stupid for us to think that we could hide anything from God. And if your fruit is lacking, we, we try and cover it. We try and conceal it. We, we lie and we pretend and we want everyone to think that we're doing good. And we go, oh, did you see what I did? Do you see what I can accomplish? And what do we do? We brag. We puff up. We, we want to put on an image, a disguise of who we really are to what? Impress people. And the sad thing is, is, you know, God sees all of that. If you're out there exaggerating, you know, I went out there and went up to Cleveland last weekend and I led 50 souls to the Lord. I wow, 50 people got saved. I was lucky if I had 50 couples that sat through the sermon, you know. <laughs> Never mind. No, they were, it was fun. But people do that. People, people brag. People, people want to put themselves like they're somebody when really they don't want to deal with who they are. They think they're going to fool God, and God sees right through it. You know, there's a lot of people that want to put themselves in a place of spiritual authority. They want to have everybody be impressed with what they can and cannot do. And they run around and, and the, the test that Jesus gave us for us to judge someone, and yes, to judge someone, is that you're to judge them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, Jesus says. So then you will know them by their fruits, right? Not everyone who comes to you and says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
There are wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing that we have a right to decide and to discern. And it's to look at the fruit of the things that they're doing in their lives. And I'm telling you, there's many a slick talker in our church that would love to just impress you with their spirituality. And you have to sit down and say, what are you producing for God? Show me your fruit. And then I'll see and respect or trust you for what you're saying. And that's common sense. That's wisdom. You should never sit down there and say, well, I'm just going to go to this church or that church or trust this guy or trust this person. He told me and he sounded so good. Well, is he building the kingdom of God? Does he have uh, fruit that's going to remain? Or is his fruit sick and passing? And those are mandates for us. And here's and here people try and fool God. And God's like, no, I'm not buying this. Here's a blind guy who sees through her disguise. I can't find anything more ironic than some poor blind prophet who just sees right through her, looks straight at her heart. So she says, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be uh, to, to be another woman in the middle of verse 6? For I am sent to you, and he's going to say with a harsh message, there's a truth coming down the pike that you know that you're going to receive, but you're not going to like it. So he says, here it is. He says, verse 7, Go say to Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord God. Right? The Lord God of Israel, quote, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel. Because of these things, I trusted you. You were given a place of authority. And I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. I made you king, God saying, Yet... You have not been like my servant David. David was a guy I loved. This is Solomon's father even. Who kept my commandments and who followed me with all of his heart to do uh, only that which was right in my sight. You also have done more evil than all who were before you and have gone and made for yourselves other gods and molten images. Idols. To provoke me. God's saying, you did this just to tweak me off. You, you know darn well what happened before I made you king to stop this. Why would you be so stupid to do it again? You provoked me to anger, God's saying, and you have cast me behind your back. God's looking at it and says, what? I'm God, I'm king of the universe. I'm trying to have a relationship with you. And you turn around and go, oh, I don't care about that. Get out of here, God, and turn your back on God. eat this is the prophecy of your descendants your children the things that you bear anyone belonging to jeroboam who dies in the city the dogs will eat and he who dies in the fields of the the birds of the heavens will eat for the lord has spoken it now you arise and go to your house and when your feet enter the city the child will die so this is what he's saying to his the wife of jeroboam you go home the moment you're home, your kid's dead. Now you, arise, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. Verse 13, And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he alone of Jeroboam's family shall come to the grave, because in him something good was found toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. So hear this. 
So this guy, the, the kid that's sick, Abijah, he's going to die the moment mom comes walking through the door to say that he's going to die. And yet God says, Abijah, the kid that's sick, something good's in there. And it's a, it's a picture of a child being innocent. And God is saying, innocence is going to die. Jeroboam's crossing lines. There's knowledge. There's accountability. There's no more innocence. This child is going to die. And for the rest of your kids, you got another dozen kids running around Jeroboam. They're all going to rot in the field and be dead. All your descendants are going to be cut off. They're going to be killed. No decent burial. They're dung in the streets. That's my opinion of you because you turned your back on God. Says verse 14. Says, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel. So you're easily replaced, Jeroboam, who shall cut off uh, the house of Jeroboam this day and from now on. So your time is done. I've had it, God says. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think that means that there's a ripple effect. How's that? If you take a reed and shake it in the water, and you're going to sit down there and watch it expand and ripple through the water. And he's saying your sin, your sin is going to have a ripple effect. People are going to suffer because of the sin that you have committed, Jeroboam. You've set up these golden calves. It's not funny. You're establishing idolatry in God's chosen people, Israel. You were given a task and you blew it. Does anybody else have a different translation for that? The Lord will strike Israel as a reed that is shaken in the water. King James say anything different? Someone has it and says the same thing? Okay. I just thought maybe that would be... Something I thought I'd look up and I didn't have time. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's not the reed, though. I was, I was looking at the reed in the water. All right. But uh, as a reed shaken in the water, to me, I think that's, that's saying there's, there's the ripple effect. There's, 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 you know, you drop a pebble and it goes around and he's saying you're, you're stirring up the waters. And in uh, this guy, you're going to be replaced by another king, he's saying in verse 15. And he will uproot Israel, um, uproot Israel from the good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the Euphrates River because they have, why, made their Asherim, which is another false god, goddess, provoking the Lord to anger. So remember the word Asherim, and I want to get back to that. He says... Uh, Verse 16, and he will give up Israel on account of the sins of Jeroboam, which he committed and with which he made Israel to sin. So he's going to say, Israel's going down. The nation is going to be destroyed because they forsook the Lord and created idols. And these stupid golden calves is what's going to get underneath God's skin. So. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tizra, which is her hometown, and she was entering the threshold of the house. She's coming home, and guess what happens? The child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned him for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through the servant Ahijah the prophet. Now, does that bother you? I suppose now, if you're Jeroboam's wife, you go to see the prophet. You think you're going to fool God. The prophet turns around and says, the moment you go home, step, step in that threshold, your son's going to die. 
Now, what would you do if the prophet just told you that? I wouldn't go home. <laughs> right? <laughs> what possesses this lady? Well, I might as well go home. <laughs> now, think of that. Why wouldn't you just go to you know Toledo and get out of town? Get don't ever come back and say my son will live so long as I don't go home. And yet, there's something that you're watching there—the stupidity of somebody that is going to do something that deliberately is going to go kill somebody else. That's going to kill her innocence. That's going to kill her fruit that she would like to bear. She is going to be doing this, and I almost find that it's a, a sense of stubbornness inside of this lady. And when it comes to sin, people fall into sin and they're stubborn about it. They don't want to yield. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do and I don't want God telling me anything. And people choose sin and they stubbornly hold on to it when they know. They know it's going to kill their kid. They know it's going to destroy their life. They know it's going to sentence them to hell. You can be Johnny Born Again Christian, go up and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And if you quit doing this and that and live for Jesus, oh, I don't want to give up that. That's what I like. I'm going to do this and do that and do this and do that. And I'm not going to become one of them Christians. I'm going to hold on to what I got. How stupid can you be? Your son's going to die. She's stubborn. She's going home anyway. Can you see a little bit inside of herself that has a little bit of disbelief? Oh, that ain't really going to happen. Oh, come on. You're telling me when I go home, my boy, that's a bunch of... I'm going to go... That ain't real. And sin causes disbelief. God's word is very real. God's word is sure and true. People are betting the eternal destiny of their soul. And they go... Eh, that ain't real. God's got to send everyone to hell. Oh, I I'd like to see if that's happened. I'll wait till I'm dead and then I'll find out. Where's the common sense in that? It, 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 it's a disbelief. It's not, it's not real. It's not going to happen. Even though she knows that God sees right through her with x-ray vision, looks straight into her heart, all things are laid bare and open, and God's looking right at her and saying, there's no disguise, I see the truth, this is what's going to happen, and she still goes home. It's a level of disbelief. It's a level, I think, sometimes if you're going to go and you watch people in sin, they're defiant. They're stubborn. There's disbelief and they're defiant. Go ahead, God. You can see her. I double-dog dare you. I'm going to go home anyway. Dude, you don't play those games with God. And God is saying, if all things, you know, I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. I've taken care of you. I'm tired with the sins of Solomon, Jeroboam. And now you've gone out and sinned twice as much. And, and there are people that want to walk in sin to a place of defiance in a place of rebelliousness, of just angering, saying, I double-dog dare you. I'm going to be defiant to God. Go ahead. I want to find out what it is. And it's so foolish. And God says, bam, the child's dead. And it's not going to happen that way. There's a reality to the kingdom of God. And so many of us, we don't want to acknowledge that. And I think when you look at this, this lady as she's just killed her own son with her own stupidity, it just shows you the selfishness that's involved in sin. For her to make the conscious decision to turn around and to say, 
If I go home, my boy's dead. Oh, I think I'll move to Toledo. I'll buy a little shack on the corner and live the rest of my life away from my family. You know what that would call be called if she did that? That would be called making a sacrifice. And somehow or another, sin, sin hates to sacrifice. Sin is consuming to yourself. It's, I want, I want, I want, I want. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want. And for the way of Christ, Christianity is sacrifice. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. We make sacrifices daily with our lives. We give unto ourselves all that we have and say, Lord, I'm willing to serve you. It's a sacrifice. Sacrifice is love. And there's no love in sin. There's no concern for others. If I love you, then I'm willing to sacrifice for you. That's the definition of love. If I only use you to gain my own advantage, I'm using you. There's no love involved. And, 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 and this lady, <coughs> she couldn't understand sacrifice if her life depended on it. She just went down there with defiance. She went down there with uh, a, a, a stubbornness. And she says, I double dog dare you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And her kid dies. I, it's a mind-blowing story. How can that be? That's the way sin works. It's illogical. I, I, I can't fathom it. I know that's something you and me and every one of us struggles with is sin. Every one of us doesn't really believe all the things that we should. Every one of us has a stubborn side to us. And we've got to question ourselves. It says, Lord, I, I want to I serve you and you alone. So it says, verse 19, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned. Behold, they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel, which is a book we don't possess any longer. But I suppose they're saying there's more to this story. If you read for some more homework, read this book. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years. He slept with his fathers and Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. So that's... As you're going through the book of Kings, you're going to find that the story goes from the north to the south to the south to the north. And it's saying, now, back on the south, right? It says, verse 21, now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So here's Reh, his story. He reigned in Judah. Um, and Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Nama the Amoritess. So that should tell us a little story of in itself that here's Rehoboam, the son of... If you went to chapter 11, verse 1, it says that God was angry with Solomon because of his many wives, the ones that were strictly per, you know, told and were forbidden. And one of the women that Solomon was never to marry was an Amoritess. So he obviously has a thousand wives. He's got 700 wives, 300 concubines. The guy's got women all over the place. And one of his wives was an Amoritess, which was forbidden. And it tells us in chapter 11, verse 1, that God was particularly upset because of these several women that brought in idolatry. And now Solomon's son, who was through a forbidden relationship with an Amoritess, his son now, Rehoboam, is the one that's going to reign in his place. So that's not a good start. You follow that chain of thinking? 
shouldn't have been with a woman in the first place. Now he has a child through this woman. Now this child's reigning. And Rehoboam himself, the contemporary of Jeroboam, he doesn't have a whole lot going for him anyway. He was a taskmaster. He was arrogant. We saw a couple other exploits of him the last few weeks. We don't want to rehash all that. And here's a recap. It says in verse 22, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy, listen to this, more than all their fathers had done. So God's mad at the south, the southern nation as well, with the sins which they committed. And this is what they committed. They didn't have the golden calves, but for they also built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and asherim on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. And then it gets, shows you how bad days were back then. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. So homosexuality is nothing new. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. And so we're watching the south. It, it falls into their false idolatry as well. And there's telltale signs of the end of a nation. And one of the things that is upsetting and it's telling us is that there was male cult prostitutes. So it's a homosexual thing. Homosexuality was running rampant and everyone gave up on the family. It's disturbing God. But a cult prostitute uh, is somebody that you would pay, right, for... Uh, sexual pleasures. Uh, so if you wanted to be part of the the religion of Jehovah, God, the God of Israel, you would come and pay your tithes and your offerings to the temple. You'd say, well, I want to serve God. But if you had a cult prostitute, is what you would say is I need to go pay my tithes to the false God. And hence I would go pay it to a prostitute. They would take that money and put it into the treasury of their temple and hence the temple would raise up money by having people being paid for sexual pleasure and it it infuriated god so you can understand you say well do i want to go to church and give my tithes and my offerings to the church and what do i get from god besides trials and tribulations and suffering he says blessed are those that are persecuted or do i want to go over here to the cult prostitute pay my tithes my offerings and get some sexual fun so that was the competition back then that the average man on the street had to decide what do you want to do and for what they would do is they had these ashram and the ashram was a huge pole let's just say. And it was supposed to be Asherah was the female goddess of the male god Baal. Baal was the false god that uh, uh, God always had a conniption over and said, I can't handle this. So Baal was the male and Asherah was the female and they had symbols that represented each of them. And it's a weird cultic type thing, but you got to understand this is what upsets God. Uh, is what they would do is, is you would say, uh, I need to go up to the high place. They would go up to a, 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 a mountaintop area in a starlit night, and they would go up there and have a wild orgy of a time. Everybody's running around naked. 
and they're having a big old time. They're all drunk and having a big old party, and this is how they worshipped their god of Baal and Asherim, and this is what upset God, that they would always go there. They had this idea that if you took a, a seed and planted it, uh, a little sexual connotation in there, but you would plant like an acorn and you'd plant it into the ground and then you would worship this acorn tree or one of the cedars of Lebanon or whatever you'd want to plant there on the high place and then you would you would nurture that plant and then that plant somehow or another had your soul connected to it. So this is talking to plants, you know, 501 here. You're really getting into this plant and you're worshiping this plant. And as that plant grew into a mighty firm tree, then your soul supposedly was strengthened by uh, uh, this tree. So me and this tree that's now big and strong and a mighty oak, it's, it's big. This is their false religion. Then therefore you would... You, you would be prosperous because your tree was prosperous. And so is what they would do is they would go up to the groves where their trees were and then they would have these massive sexual orgies in front of their gods. Their gods were watching them is what they perceived. It's a rather disgusting concept, but it's worthy of connotation. We're all adults here. And if you're not, cover your ears. But... Their thinking was, and you got to just understand, this is what upset God, is they would run around to the high places, have sex, and their gods, Baal and Asherah, were in the heavens and the stars, and they would look down upon the sexual acts, and hence it would stimulate Baal and Asherah as they watched these sexual acts up on a high place. This would turn on the gods so that they would uh, be intimate, and hence, when they were intimate, they would bear forth rain that was all they wanted they wanted to have it rain so if it rained your little tree would blossom and grow if there was a drought in the land then your little tree wouldn't make it so in order to stimulate their false gods to bring forth rain we need to go up to the high place run around naked and be a little porn show for the gods up there and once they're stimulated by us having sex then they're going to pour forth their rain and so god was incensed as him as their creator the one who brought forth rain brought forth the bread of life brought forth the things that were there and he's saying how dare you run around up to the high places and have your little sexual orgy and think that is what's going to bring you for your little stupid tree and you can see this he's saying they went up to the luxuriant trees right it says verse 22 they also built for them the high places and that's what they're talking about the sacred pillars and there's a male phallic symbol in there the ashram on every side and that's what the bull was all about and the bull was supposed to be Baal, and usually the bull was there as this idol that they worshiped and it had enhanced enlarged genitals and hence it was a stimuli for them and since then we see that they would all worship this right so when moses brought the children of israel out of egypt he went up on the hill and aaron turned around and goes look we got this little bull and what did they do they ran around the little bull naked and had a big old orgy and so that was that was the competitive religion of the day and they worshiped these idols up on the high places and it infuriated god and if you notice, just on a side note, it's interesting. God is always one that tells us to protect 
to cover our private parts, right? You go to Leviticus chapter, I think it's 18, where God says, look, you don't sleep with your sister and you don't sleep with your mother and that's just wrong. And God goes through this whole litany of things. And as he's explaining each one, he says, you don't go sleep with your mother, you nut. You're exposing your father's nakedness. You're exposing her nakedness. And there's something within inside of God that says there's things that are private to you. And you need to keep those private. There's something in the world that wants to take their private things and expose them and flaunt them to the rest of the world. And hence you see the terms in the Bible where she was a bold-faced harlot was the expression, saying, I can just strip off my clothes and I'm as naked as a jaybird and woo, look at me. And God's like, there's something wrong there. Your, your, your sexuality, your private things, they need to be covered and concealed. Now, now God's not against sex. He's not against exposing it at the proper place and at the proper time. But for someone to take what they have and to rip it wide open, This is what happens when Jeroboam, right, who indulged in his little calves that he built. And God says, I'm sick of these little calves with its enlarged genitals. Aren't you special? And he's saying, now look at the shame. Listen to this. The shame that happens to them as they see that their fruit is falling apart. And she's the one, check this out, that has to disguise herself and cloak herself because she doesn't want anyone to see what's really there. If anyone should be unashamed, it would be Jeroboam's wife who says, Woo, look at me. She's run around up there in the groves and, and did it in front of Baal and Asherah. Why all of a sudden is she ashamed? That's an important question. Because sin brings forth guilt brings forth shame and for us as a believer we want to be able to say i want my fruit to remain i want to take the things that i've given me conceal them to be private and i want and i want and then therefore i'm unashamed and there are things that we need to be not ashamed of paul says i'm not ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ i'm not ashamed of the things of god i can be bold i can be strong for christ And it's a weird dichotomy. It plays off of each other. Check that out. The more you flaunt, the more you run around in rampant sin, the more shame and the more you want to hide yourself. The more you can control yourself and keep your private parts private, the more dignity you have and the more unashamed you become with walking through life and not having to wear a cloak not wearing to wear a wig and not worrying worry how you're going to deal with all these things. And hence you watch now where Rehoboam, even to the south, has got its male cult prostitutes. Everyone's up there having a gay old time. It's appropriate. And it's destroying the land because we watch verse 25. It says, Now it came about in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak... The king of Egypt, he came up against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and he took everything, even taking all the, listen to this, the shields of gold which Solomon had made. So Solomon had his nice little trophies there of his gold 
And we can remember where he just grabbed all this money and Solomon was saying, watch this, I got so much gold. And he made these huge, I don't know, was there 20-something gold shields that were just, you know, millions of dollars worth of gold. And he put them up there as ornaments. And we talked about it at the time and we said, isn't that funny that he's using the gold to shield himself? This, my money's going to protect me. And we said, Solomon, you're a fool. Your money isn't going to protect you on the day of judgment. And now look what happens. This guy Shishak comes in and he just says, "Watch, I'm just going to rape, rob, and plunder Israel. They don't have the protection of the Lord anymore. And now they're open to the plunder of the Egyptians. And their little golden shields did nothing to protect them. So it says, so King Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place, verse 27. And he committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. So bronze would be a by far inferior metal to gold. A little bit stronger than gold as far as his malleability, but it would be of far less value. And he has to sit down and make them. And he's going to use these, shul, these, these shields sorry, uh, 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 for actual use. He's going to, he gives them to the commanders of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And it happened as often as the king entered the house of the Lord that the guards would carry them and would bring them back into the guard's room. So now all of a sudden we have Solomon who had filthy rich splendor everywhere, had huge shields of gold for what? Decoration. Now all of a sudden the shields, <clears throat> we better make them a bronze. And <clears throat> I got to, as king, I need to now take my bodyguards with me and they better take the shields off the wall and walk down the street so nobody's going to kill me. And now all of a sudden, what do you see? You're watching the king start to live in fear, trying to protect himself, cover himself with an inferior gift. And it's a sad commentary on Israel, which used to have the splendor of God's riches, now has to live in fear. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to, I'm going to wear a bulletproof vest wherever I go. I better carry a pistol with me because I'm going to shoot somebody. And now you're obsessed with trying to protect your life instead of saying, what can I do to minister and to love and to give? And God's going to take care of me. They've lost that. Israel's innocence was lost. In a Judah's Israel was lost. The son, Ahijah, was dead. No, Ahijah was the prophet. Abijah was the son. Abijah is dead. And you're going, innocence is lost. And God is saying, because you've taken your sin, you've flaunted it all over the place, and you're losing the very gift that you had. And to finish out the chapter, it says, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. So that's two brothers Jew against Jew, strife continues to be exasperated and to accelerate when sin abounds. And it says, And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Nama the Amoritess. And Abijam, his son, became king in his place. So we got another Abijam that's got to come into the scene, right? So we've got a whole chain of uh, Abijah and then Ahijah and now Abijam. And so we'll get into that next week. But it's a powerful lesson. It's a simple exposure. It's a defiance of sin and it's, it's watching innocent be gone. And, and it's a strange dichotomy, I guess is the word, a contradiction. Whereas people that continue to follow into sin, they end up living more 
in fear. And then the more you can turn and trust the Lord with your life, the more carefree, the more happy, and the more joyous you can become because you're secure in Jesus Christ. And God wants that for you. He's, he's begging you to say, trust me. In me, there's security. I care about you. I love you. I know the number of hairs on your head, and I would do anything to take care of you. And that's God's de- desire inside of our life. None of this was what he wanted. He wanted his people to be free and to be strong and to be dependent upon him, where God would say, anybody comes up to you, I'm going to go smash them in the teeth, and, and, and they'll pay for it. And now God's at the place where I can't even protect you anymore. And now he's saying, no, matter of fact, I'm the one that's punching you in the face. And that's the wrong side of being on God. And the idea is to be on the right side of serving God and to say, Lord, I want to take who I am and what I have and give it over to you and to love you and to serve and to give it all to you. That's the desire of Christianity. That's what Jesus Christ wants to work in your life so that he can set you free, so that you would have fruit and your fruit would remain. Amen? Questions, comments, criticisms? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are an awesome God, Father. And I pray that we would be naked and exposed to you, Father, and to you alone. Father, that uh, we know that uh, uh, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to uh, separate bone and marrow, Father, spirit and soul. And Father, we know that all things are open and laid bare to you. Father, there's no need to hide to the skies to play a game, Father. You have our lives. You see that we're sinners. And we know, Father, that you love us as sinners. You're not just here to fry us. You're not just here to discipline us. You're here to show us love. And I pray, Father, that we would have the common sense, the belief, the trust, and the security, Father, to take our lives and place it in your hands. Father, do your marvelous work as only you can. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.